And if you would please turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5. I want to read some passages out of Isaiah chapter 5 and uh, have some important things to say with regards to some of the things our nation has faced this week. I mentioned as we started our prayer time that um, Las Vegas happened on Monday and everybody talked about it Monday and Tuesday and some Wednesday and it's just remarkable to me how as Americans our attention spans are so short that we sort of check the box and say, yeah, I saw that, it's terrible, tragedy, and we check the box and we just kind of go on. And this is the first Sunday after that tragedy. And I just felt like the tragedy was of such proportion that there was something to be said in that. Everybody started making their comments. I don't know if you've watched the news, cable news. It, cable news is like a blessing and a curse. It's like it's good to get news fast, but you just hear the constant thud of cable news and it absolutely positively uh, just causes you just to go numb. And everybody wanted to go political instantly. And I just felt like pastors had something they needed to share and they needed to say. And so I wanted to take our moments this morning and kind of address that. It, it, it would take a blind person not to see that there is such tumult and anarchy in our nation and world that something has to be up. Natural that disasters are just, it seems to me, at an all-time high. You know, there's another hurricane that went through um, Mississippi and Louisiana today. It's just a Cat 1. Isn't it amazing? It's a Cat 1 and we all go ho-hum. But they're facing, again, hurricane issues. And, of course, we've had floods. We've had our own flood here that we've had to deal with. Uh, there have been fires out west. Um, Earthquakes, Mexicans have endured earthquakes. There's been earthquakes in Indiana and unusual places even here in our nation, unprecedented. And then, of course, we have the human depravity side of the equation, the evil of what has taken place. Las Vegas uh, just boggles our mind that 58, 59 people were killed, over 500 people injured over this horrific evil and we're still trying to figure out all that took place with regards to that shooting um, I think there's another story that's yet to be told and so I'm hoping that law enforcement and uh, our government will obviously be forthright in the coming days and let us know uh, what exactly happened there just seems to be a few unusual things that are hanging out there uh, that need to be tied together so I'm sort of waiting to hear the rest of that story but We've seen a terrible string of shootings in the last decade. We've seen bombings. We've seen terrorism in recent years. And all of this has taken place. And let's not forget right now that we've got a nutcake over in North Korea who's got his finger on, he says, nuclear weapons. And uh, our president does not look like he's one to back down. And so we have these concerns as well. And so everyone's beginning to ask the question, as they should ask the question, what's going on? What has changed in the last 40 years? I mean, I, when I grew up, I grew up in an era, some of you did too, 
where your mom or your dad would kick you out of the house at about 8 o'clock in the morning, especially in the summertime, and they'd say, go play, and you might not have seen your kids again until dinner time that night. I mean, we got on our bicycles, and we'd ride all over the place. We'd, we'd ride miles, and we didn't have cell phones. There was no way to get in touch with us. Of course, in those days, every parent was allowed to discipline any child they saw. Of course, those days have changed. And, and we know that some of us, especially those of us that are getting older, we grew up in a totally different era than what we're growing up in now. We didn't walk through. I remember when my son, Clayton, was getting on an airplane. They still had metal detectors in those days. But I remember you only had to go through one metal detector. Anybody could go back to the gate to meet their arriving flight. You didn't have to have your ticket. Now, it was unusual because one time they pulled Clayton, who was about three years old. They pulled him over because he had a blue plastic saw in his belt. He loved this blue plastic saw. It was, it was, and he called it his gun. It was his gun. And he had it in there. Everywhere he went, he went with that thing. And they, they, they pulled him out of the line. This is an hilarious story. It's not on my notes, but it's a funny story. And they pull him over, and they make him give up his gun. Well, we couldn't, we couldn't just give it up, so I had to go run it back to the car and get back. But it was such a frustrating moment because I just had trouble believing that a three-year-old was going to commandeer an aircraft with a blue saw that looked kind of like a gun. It just didn't seem probable to me. But these days are done. They're over. It's a whole new era. And what is going on? What has changed the last 40 years? And then the question comes up, where is God? Does he care? Why wasn't he in Las Vegas? Why wasn't he at Sandy Hook? Why wasn't he in Florida when the hurricane came through? Why wasn't he here? Didn't he know this place had already flooded twice before? And he's going to let a third one come through? I mean, where is God and the disasters and the shootings and the evil? Can he do something about it? And if he can do something about it, why doesn't he do something about it? I've been finding it interesting just kind of watching the thud of cable news about all of these questions. And they're asking, people are asking these questions. And it's interesting that on one TV interview, they were interviewing a, an agnostic, a self-described agnostic about Las Vegas. He was actually in the crowd. Interesting. He said that this event turned him to God. He said he didn't really believe in God before the event, but he said it was only God that could have saved him and provided the providential events that took place that saved his life in that horrific event. I thought that interesting because most people experience this type of evil and they immediately want to blame God for it. But here's a young man who said, no, for me, it's driven me back to God. But the question comes up, is there a place of safety? Is there a place that you and I, because we're believers, I mean, is there a place of immunity to these sorts of things? Is there any way that we can increase our security? Is there any legislation we could potentially pass to keep us more secure? Maybe, maybe, and you know the discussion, maybe if we just banned some weapons or maybe if we had everybody in America get a psychological mental evaluation, we could figure out who to watch out for. I mean, we're asking all kinds of questions. What's to keep evil from us? I mean, if I were a parent, and I just know some of you are young parents, and I know you've got to think about it. I mean, how do you send your kids to school? Do your kids have to go through metal detectors at school? And, and, and how do you go to... 
sporting events or, or, even, or even kids' practices. Have you ever thought about a really evil mind, what they could do if they really wanted to cause unparalleled terror in the land? We've already had shootings in movie theaters, cruise ships. What if they started going to small towns and, and, and causing some sort of evil in small towns? What about theme parks? Church services. We didn't even hear about the shooting in Tennessee that took place where there was a shooter in a small church in Tennessee killing people in that church. What about door-to-door -door terrorism? I mean, what do we do? Do we put big fences around our property? Do we put metal you know, awnings across our windows? What do we do to keep safe anymore? What's going on? I remember the day when you didn't lock your door and you let your keys stay in the car. Some of you aren't that old, can't even believe that. I remember you would go and you just leave your keys in the car. My granddad's keys rusted in the ignition. And he'd drive anywhere. Where have those days gone? Why is it that all of this evil is increasing? Is there an answer? Can we be safe? Maybe that's not on your mind. It's on my mind. I got grandkids. What in the world's going on? Well, I want to talk this morning on what I entitled, When God Lifts the Hedge. When God Lifts the Hedge. In Isaiah chapter 5, kind of an obscure passage, but it really speaks, I think, to our day. I hope, I hope as we read through Isaiah 5, these first seven verses, that you'll You'll not only hear what was going on then, but you'll begin to hear what God might be saying to America or his church today. Isaiah 5, verse 1, the prophets prophesying in the tents of the Lord when he says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of the hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. May God at his blessing to the reading of his word as we talk about when God lifts the hedge. Now, Isaiah, with the tents of the Lord, is prophesying 
to Israel. Now let's just review a couple of things. God loves Israel. You do realize that God doesn't hate his people. God loves Israel. He loves Israel. He loves his people. He has great plans for his people. But here's the problem. As much as God loves his people, Israel, when it should be producing good fruit, is producing wild fruit. In other words, God loves his people, but Israel is being wayward. So the Lord looks at Israel through the prophet and he says these words. He says, what more could I have done for you? What more could I have done by way of love, by way of support, sustenance, blessing, protection? The Lord said to Israel, what could I have done? I have given you everything imaginable. What more could I have done for you? But this is what the Lord is saying, and I'm just sort of synopsizing it. He's saying, yet you have rebelled. So all that's left is for me to lift the hedge. Now this is very, very important because... Sometimes I think we develop sort of this, I don't know if it's theology or just understanding, but somehow that God is obligated or, or that he is somehow forced to protect rebellion. I just want to be clear, God is not obligated to protect anyone's rebellion. God is not forced in some measure to keep you safe when you determine you want to go wayward. God does not facilitate waywardness. He does not enable, enable uh, rebellion or waywardness. God is ultimately about obedience. And I read this and I thought to myself, you know, America is in a similar spot. I mean, what more could God do for America? I mean, you think about America. Is there any nation like America on the face of the earth? Has there been anyone that's been blessed like we've been blessed beyond measure? I always remind people that the American Revolution and the French Revolution took place at exactly the, almost the same time. The French Revolution was a reaction against religion. The French revolted because they did not like uh, the religious nature and corruption that took place within France. And so their revolution was based on really uh, libertarianism or libertinism. In other words, they wanted to be free to, to do whatever they wanted to do, to follow their base or carnal nature. And so the French's liberty was based in carnality. America's liberty was different. America's liberty was not based in its carnality. It was based in its serving God. America's covenants and founding fathers wanted America to be that light on a on a hill. It wanted to be the new Israel. It wanted to be a place where people could worship their God, not, not living under the burdens of, of governmental restraints. They, there was a different type of freedom, and that freedom was announced from the pulpits of America. It wasn't a freedom running away from religion. It was a freedom running to God. That's why the motto of the revolution was, we have no king but Jesus. That's what America, and, and America had this covenant. And God has blessed us. Why has God blessed America? Why is America different than France? We both have democratic principles, but why is it that America is different than other democracies? It's because God's hand has been upon us. From sea to shining sea. God has blessed us. He has protected us. He has done so many things, all of us in this room. Can you imagine for a moment being born in any other country of the world besides America, what your life would look like? Could you imagine being born in Iraq, in Iran, in Jordan, in Syria, in Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Russia, 
Could you imagine being born in North Korea? I can go down the list. You are living in a nation right now and you have become the recipients of this incredible blessing that's not just because we're so smart or because we had so many resources, but it's because God placed a hedge around this country and he favored it and he's protected it and his hand has been upon it. But something has gone wrong. What's gone wrong? Like Israel of old. God is saying, is there anything more I could do for you? And yet you've decided instead of producing good fruit, you would produce wild fruit. We've been blessed beyond measure. But as a nation, we've spurned God's ways. We've ignored his commands. And so what's left? We live in a nation that a hedge is lifting. Now the question is, what's a hedge? Let's make sure we're all on the same page. What is a hedge? A hedge is a supernatural wall of protection or favor from the Lord. Uh, some have suggested uh, that the hedge uh, may be his actual presence. The presence of the Lord provides a hedge. Um, in fact, I read at prayer time the psalm that talked about the Lord being our shield. In fact, his presence becomes as a shield to us. And uh, the Lord promises that there is a, a hedge. Some believe it to be angelic in nature. In fact, I want to read to you Psalm 91. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 91. This is worthy of taking some time to read Scripture. Is it okay in church if we read Scripture? I mean, you know, sometimes in church, I think sometimes we just want a verse or two read and let's go on. But sometimes I think it'd be helpful in corporate gathering if we read Scripture and heard the reading of Scripture. Psalm 91. I think is a good working uh, definition and picture of what a hedge is. Psalm 91, listen to this. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him I will trust. Now listen, surely He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. You understand he's, he's speaking sort of allegorically now. God is not a chicken. He doesn't have, like, feathers. Although, you know, I don't know what angels, you know, angels may have wings. I, you know, we don't know, and perhaps there are references here. But nonetheless, this is imagery of his, his covering, his protection. His truth, listen, his truth shall be your shield and buckler. Boy, that's an important line. Because if you don't walk in truth, are you hearing me? He doesn't become a shield. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Obviously, we don't have arrows, but there are bullets. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side. And 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near to you. You know, I read that and I think about that concert at Las Vegas when people were scrambling. I think about this. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. 
In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high. I got to go back to verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me. Hear me now. Because you have set your love upon him. And we're going to get to this again. God loves you, but just because God loves you doesn't mean he's obligated to hedge you. It doesn't say because I love you, I am your shield. It says because you have set your love upon him. Are you seeing this? This is very important stuff. Because I'm telling you, we're living in an era. We've already had, have we not, in Charleston, South Carolina, a shooter come into a church. Have we not here? You don't think it can't come here? It already has come here. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. A hedge. It's a great chapter for the hedge. A hedge is this spiritual fortress. It's this refuge. It's this, it's this shield. I oftentimes think about it. I almost... Uh, sent uh, Brad does uh, the slides and I almost sent Brad a picture of a castle that has a moat around it you remember a moat and you know why castles had great walls on it it's to keep the enemy out and these are great pictures of of what's being communicated here with regards to how God wants and desires to hedge his people you can go down uh, uh, Dorchester the road Dorchester Road and you can go by the military base and what's around the military base these great gates and wrought iron bars. Why is it? Because there's a protection to keep certain things out and certain things in. So the Bible speaks that there is a hedge that can supernaturally surround you and me with favor or protection. Now, the next question that comes is why a hedge? Why a hedge? The reason God provides a hedge is because we live in a world that is fallen. Now, I know I have new ears here that I'm speaking to, and I have some older ears here that need to hear this again, but I'm going to make sure we've got a good handle on doctrine at this particular moment. We live in a world that is fallen. What that means is our world is dysfunctional. Our world is fractured by sin. Our world by nature is evil. In other words, normal is bad. Now, get that. In fact, why don't you repeat after me, because I know this is sound doctrine, and I'm not leading you astray. Everyone say, normal in our world is bad. Now, I tell you that because there's not enough money in the U.S. budget to protect us. There's not enough guns that you and I can buy that can keep us safe. There's not enough TSA agents at the airport that's going to keep every bad guy out. There's not enough police that we can hire in our neighborhoods. There's not enough metal detectors that we can arise. I mean, what are we going to do? Put metal detectors outside the church doors, outside Target, outside Walmart, outside McDonald's. There's not enough metal protectors. There's not enough CIA operatives that we can make sure we know what's going on before they get to us. There's not enough nukes in the arsenal. There's not enough troops in the military. There's no wall high enough, and there's no wall long enough. 
I'm not making political statements. I am making theological statements. No government can keep evil from you. There's not enough earthly resource to immunize us from evildoers. Everybody sees evil happening and suddenly they start saying, we need to do something. Government needs to do something. Government can't fix evil hearts. Only God can supernaturally protect or defend us in the era we are in. Now, I'm not saying there might not be wise things that we need to look at doing. I'm not even, make, I'm not even going down that road yet. I'm simply telling you that we can come up with miraculous legislation and somebody will figure out how to run their bus through a crowd in downtown Charleston and we'll face evil again. Are you hearing me? So people say, how do we prevent this kind of evil? How do we prevent this kind of evil? I'm sorry, I'm going to say it because everybody was thinking about it and I've never been known to be politically correct. But I'm just going to say it. It seemed ironic to me that everybody was looking at Las Vegas and saying, how can we keep this evil from happening again in a city whose self-described nickname is Sin City? Does that not seem ironic to you? We're worried about bullets raining from a window, and I get it. Horrific tragedy. While there's every imaginable sin unmitigatingly happening all across the city, and everybody suddenly has prioritized their evil. Well, this is, this is evil. All those, all those prostitution, legalized prostitution, that ain't evil. Are you following me? Isn't it uh, the irony of the moment? And I hurt for Las Vegas because there probably were good people. And there are good people in the city. And there's a remnant and there's a light. And I get that. And, and I know this is going to go out publicly. And, and we pray for Las Vegas. But I'm telling you, the very city itself describes itself as sin city. It describes itself as what happens in Vegas. What? Yeah, why is that? Because we don't want anybody to know what goes on behind closed doors because everyone knows what goes on behind closed doors. And then suddenly we have, this, we have this horrific shock that evil showed up when evil's been amongst us all the while. It's just an evil that we, we yet still maintain as evil. Let me tell you, we, we kill millions and millions of babies and nobody blinks an eye. But somebody shoots out of a high-rise and all of a sudden it's the most horrific evil we've ever seen. I'm just telling you, our world is convoluted and upside down. And so we ask ourselves, how do we prevent this kind of evil that we, have, have we now have self-defined that this is, this is the, the most important kind of evil because every other evil doesn't matter? You know, there's, there's a line, made me think of a line in Jurassic Park. You know, when they're showing the scientists these, these cloned eggs, dinosaurs, and I think it was, uh, I think his name is Jeffrey Goldblum, isn't that the actor? And he's looking at it and he's saying, well, what, what's going to keep them from procreating or, or, you know, developing offspring? And I, and I think they made them all androgynous or they, they, they made them sexless. And, and he has this statement, and, and, I, and I don't... It was sort of a hat tip to evolution, and I don't believe in evolution, but this is what he says. He says, life finds a way. How do, how do, we, how do we keep this evil from happening? Listen, listen to me. Because of the world we live in, sin finds a way. Sin finds a way. I mean, sin found a way in the Garden of Eden. 
I mean, if you can't keep sin out of a perfect place like the Garden of Eden, you're certainly not going to keep it out of Las Vegas. People often ask, I'm going to remind you of this all the time, they'll ask you the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Do you know that's not a biblical question? Why do bad things happen to good people? There's a presupposition behind that. The presupposition is that everything's good, everything's good, and that bad is the intruder. So why do bad things intrude in good people's life? That's not biblical. The Bible doesn't teach that everything's good. The Bible teaches everything's fallen. We live in a fallen world. This is, this is the question we all ought to consternate ourselves over. Why do good things happen to any of us? That's the real question. See, we think we're deserving of good. We think, we think that we're just here for God to lavish good on us all the time, and we forget, and I think it's oftentimes important for us to remember that we live in a fallen world. We live in a corrupt world. We live in an evil world, and God is the intervener. Every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes from the Father above. In Him there is no variation or shadow of turning. So that means every time good comes into your life, that's a God moment. You don't realize how much God intervenes in your life, do you? Every time you breathe a breath, every time a smile comes to your face, every time your paycheck comes your way, every time God is intervening in our life, and here's how He intervenes most of the time, by putting a hedge around His people. He hedges His people with this fortress, this supernatural fortress that keeps you from getting a disease when you should have got the disease. How many of you know, how many of you would testify right now that somehow, some way, you should be dead in a ditch somewhere back there? I, I'm telling you, it's amazing that I'm not dead in a ditch. Because I, believe me, my angels were busy for a number of years. Well, why am I not dead in a ditch? Because the grace of God came and brought some level of protection because there were purposes that he had for me and he hedged me and because of that hedge it's not because I'm so great it's not because I'm all that in a bag of chips let's just get honest you ain't that great either none of us are that great God uses us despite us this is I'm preaching doctrine now say so understand the hedge is the intervention it's the interruption of God in a fallen world now the question now comes as to who does god hedge let's talk about that who does god hedge now i wrote down here he hedges individuals we know this to be true because the bible tells us that job had a hedge round about him and uh this would be great i, I, I there's some great stuff there i can't spend a lot of time on this one but job job is hedged by the Lord and Satan and the Lord had this conversation and in this conversation the Lord's bragging on Job saying have you ever seen one like this guy this guy I mean he is top-notch and so the Lord's bragging on him and Satan goes well sure sure he's great why wouldn't he be great because he has this hedge around him take away that hedge oh I guarantee you he'll curse you at the drop of a hat and so and again I don't have time to teach on Job but the hedge for reasons gets lifted and uh, we therefore find Job facing things uh, which are indeed incredibly challenging. Now I'm going to talk about why hedges get lifted. Just give me a moment. But, but, but God hedges individuals. 
Uh, he keeps us. As I mentioned, he keeps us from accidents. He keeps us. I, I, I'm amazed. You know how many times I've driven on the interstate, and for some reason I got held up at that gas pump somewhere because somebody didn't leave the gas pump as soon as they needed to, so it took an extra few minutes. And then I'm going down the road, and I come up on an accident that if you would have timed it, it probably would have been me had I not been held up at that gas pump. That's a hedge at work, I believe. And you don't know how many times that happens, and we don't even know it. I mean, how many people have you heard? Uh, they didn't go into the Twin Towers on 9-11 for some reason. Now, I'll get to why there were some at the Twin Towers, and evil comes. We'll talk about that momentarily. But God, hear me, I, I want you to believe that God has a hedge. Now, he also hedges nations. In our text that I read you in Isaiah chapter 5, we see Israel had a hedge. God protected it. America has had a hedge because of the forefathers, covenants that they made before the Lord. And God has been good to us. And just like Israel, God has demanded fruits of righteousness from us, and he's been patient. We do agree God has been patient with both Israel and he's been patient with America. I mean, good thing God is long-suffering because if I've been God, things have been dealt with a long time ago. But God's patient. But America continues to refuse to obey. And then number three, I put down here that God hedges his purposes. Now, this is really important. Because I think this answers a lot of questions. God loved Israel just like God loves everyone. Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the love of God is not at stake here. God loves everybody. How many of you know God will love you, but unless you make certain decisions, he will love you straight to hell? You have to make certain decisions with which you receive him as that personal Lord and Savior. And so it's not the love of God that's, that is in any way questioned. It's what you do with the love of God. So God loves Israel. God loves America. God loves everyone. But God's love is not some automatic force field for your personal protection. People whom God loves die at the hands of evil every day. He loved Israel, but they were still conquered and they went into captivity. He loved Job, but Job still lost it all. He loved Jesus. He loved his own son, but he still didn't exempt Jesus from a cross, did he? He loved Peter. He loved Paul. He loved the early church. And they still went to jail. They still were beaten. They still were shipwrecked. They still had to go into the Colosseum. They were still run out of town. They were still killed. So hear me, God loves you. But we got to talk about why this evil stuff is, is existing. And hedges, as real as they are, do not immunize you from every aspect of this world's brokenness. You are not immunized from all aspects of of the fall. But hear me because I think this answers the question. A hedge protects God's purposes. It assures his purposes will be fulfilled. In other words, Jesus didn't get to go to a cross until he was able to say it is finished. There was another time they wanted to kill Jesus and he walked through the crowd and why couldn't they kill him that time? It's because the purposes of God had not yet come to the place of fulfillment. I believe that there's a purpose. Hear me. If you're purposed in God, and this is why it's so important that you find out your purposes and his plans and that you apprehend them and you uphold them and you're obedient to them and you walk in them. It's so important because I believe there's a protection in them. 
I remember years ago, Bishop, you'll appreciate this. Years ago, back in the early 90s, when I would go with Pastor Miles to Russia, he would, uh, I was with him one trip, and uh, he was just amazing. And he, he would fly that terrible domestic airline, Aeroflot. He would, it was, I could tell you Aeroflot stories that would make your skin crawl. I mean, Aeroflot has the worst safety record in the world. Aeroflot planes crash remarkably consistently. Most of the time, the pilots are drunk. They're old fighter pilots, so they fly those things like fighter jets. And Pastor Miles would just get on those domestic Aeroflot flights, and he did it for years. He flew all over Russia for years flying these things. And I remember one time I got into one of those Aeroflots. I was with him. And I remember thinking, because, you know, the seats would fall over and there'd be chickens running in the aisle. And, I mean, it was terrible. I could just tell you stories about Aeroflot that you just wouldn't believe. And nobody in their right mind would even want to get on an Aeroflot. And I'm sitting there going, should I really get on an Aeroflot? I have, at that time, I had two young children. I had a young wife at home. I mean, I wanted to live to see some future. And I'm walking on this plane. And, of course, your, your, your prayer life increased in these sorts of moments. And, you know... You pray in the Spirit, and it was great praying out loud in the Spirit in Russia because no one knew any different because everybody's, you know. So I'm there, and then finally it dawned on me this. I was convinced, I was so convinced there was purpose on, on Pastor Miles' life that it just dawned on me, maybe it was the Holy Spirit, but it was like something rose up in me, and, and I said, Lord, I may not be as confident in what I have in you, but I know that man is purposed, and as long as I ride with him, I'm, this plane isn't going anywhere, it's going to be okay. Hanging around purpose people can save your life. Oh, I guarantee it can save your life. Hedges protect God's purposes. Listen, God loves us, but we weren't immunized from a flood, were we? He loves us, though. Pastor Fred, he loves you, doesn't he? But it hasn't immunized you totally from your challenges and what you're facing. It hasn't done it. He loves me. He hasn't immunized me or my wife from life. We, we've, we've lost a baby. It didn't immunize us from that moment. But his hedge does immunize his purposes. Which is why you may not be all of that, but his purpose comes through you because God uses the foolish things to shame the wise. He uses broken things to speak to this world. He used a man like Paul who was beaten, run out of town, shipwrecked. I can go down the list of all the things that happened to Paul. And let me tell you, Paul was not immunized from life, but the purposes of God were immunized in his life. Are you following me? America is not immunized from evil. But hear me when I say this. When America rejects his plans and his purposes, then we become greater targets for the world's enemy's evil plans. Now the question comes, how's the hedge lifted? Now the short answer is to how the hedge, or why the hedge maybe, is lifted the short answer is this, covenant breaking. When we break covenants, 
it causes fractures in hedges. Some people have said or asked me before through the years, they said, well, is, does our sinning lift the hedge? No, I, it, sinning, sinning is not the right word because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If, if sinning lifted a hedge, probably none of us would be hedged because there's always sins of omission as well as commission. There are things we could have done that we didn't do. So hear me when I say this. God isn't basing the supernatural protection just based on our, 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 our personal self-righteousness or our ability to function perfectly because that'll never happen. But covenant breaking is a different thing. Covenant breaking and covenant neglecting is what begins to fracture or lift hedges. I'm just going to give some examples here. For example, whether it's a person or a nation that pursues idols, we're covenant breaking. God said no idols, no matter what it is. And, and we have lots of idols. We have celebrity idols. We have athletic idols. We have, you know, the sports idols. We, we, we create idols all around us. When we pursue idols, hey, how about money idols? When we pursue idols, it lifts hedges. America has idols. We've done all of those things. We've venerated anything and everything. We venerate, we venerate vile people. I mean, people, people were giving Hugh Hefner this great send-off. Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner is... Now, I don't know what happened those last moments of his life. I don't know. And again, I don't have to be the one to judge him. But I'm just here to tell you, he has singularly destroyed more things than I can imagine. And yet in America, we send him off like he's this great virtue because he did it his way. Pursuit of other purposes. I think, I think there are other purposes we pursue besides the purposes of God. And it breaks covenant. God, see, when, when God saved you, he owns you. It's not your life anymore. Your life is not your own. And so when you pursue purposes besides his purpose in your life, we begin to break some of these covenants and hedges begin to lift because God's under no obligation to protect you for just running your own way. He protects his purposes. I think when we ignore covenant signs, I think marriage, America has done this in, in same-sex relationships and the frivolity of how we enter into marriage. I think we've ignored covenant signs. We've ignored the signs of uh, child sacrifice. It's interesting in America that we either worship our kids or we abort our kids. Isn't that sad? Covenant sign of tithing. I believe there's a financial hedge. The Bible tells us in Malachi 3 that there, there is a hedge that occurs when we are in right financial relationship with God. Or how about spiritual authority? There's a covering hedge of pastor and church. I think fear is another one. That's what happened to Job. Job 3, verse 25. Job says, the thing I feared the most has come upon me. And I believe fear, because God hath not given us a spirit of fear, and perfect love casts out all fear, that when we walk in fear, we're walking in, 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 in a place that we're ignoring the covenant of, of protection that comes by walking in faith. I think hedges are lifted that way. I think America, I think America, as great as we think America is, I think America is living under such fear right now that it doesn't know what to do. 
And so we just keep looking at government and we say, you guys need to do something. And government officials don't even know what to do because the smart ones know it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we do. It's all symbolic because you can't stop evil from hitting a population if it wants to. I'm here to tell you the only thing that's going to protect America is God's people and its churches. God is allowing the hedge to be lifted over America because America is thumbing its nose at God and it's becoming hostile to its church. So what, is, what do we as believers need to do? Let me give you an answer and I'm going to wrap here. We as believers must solidify and strengthen our resolve and obedience. We have to determine that we're going to maintain the hedges of our lives in order that those who connect with us can maintain that sense of protection and supernatural favor. I'm going I'm to tell this last story, and uh, it just came to me, and I think there's a nugget of revelation here, and we'll wrap at this point. How many of you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Everybody remembers the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Sodom and Gomorrah for years had uh, been in rebellion and variance to God. And the day came when God said, I'm done. He reached, he reached whatever point he had, and he was done. Now, interestingly, <clears throat> Abraham, as well as Lot, dwelt in the land. Now, if you'll read this in, in Genesis chapter 15, I think it's verse 1, Genesis 15, verse 1, the Bible says that the Lord's speaking to Abraham and reminds Abraham that he has the Lord as a shield about him. So Abraham has this hedge. It's about him. Now, interestingly, the Lord speaks to both Abraham and to Lot about leaving Sodom and Gomorrah because he's about ready to destroy it. Now, this is what's interesting to me. He's about ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but he says, you guys got to leave because if you don't leave, you're going to be in the middle of that destruction. Are you following me? So in other words, their hedge wasn't going to help them personally this time in order to weather what God was about ready to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. So he tells them it's time you need to get up. Now, how many of you remember the story of Abraham as he begins to no negotiate with God? Now, I love that story <clears throat> because he negotiates with him. And he says, hey, Lord, wait, 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 wait. If I could find 50 righteous people, would you spare Sodom? And God says, yes, I'll spare it. Now, think about this. Think about this. There was a number in God's mind that if he could find that number, he would, he would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but that those righteous ones would literally be the ones protecting Sodom and Gomorrah from its own demise. Are you following me? So he begins to negotiate. Abraham knows this. How about 50? If I could find 50, and again, I don't know how many were in Sodom and Gomorrah. I haven't done a recent study on that, but I'd, I'd be willing to say there are probably 10,000, 20,000 people in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he went... And I guess Abraham got double-minded on the 50, and he said, well, how about five less and 45? God says, okay. And, they, and well, how about, how about 40? And they go down the list. You know the story until he gets to 10. He negotiates until God says, okay, 10. If you can find 10 people righteous, I will spare the city. Now listen, 10 people who had the Lord as a shield would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah from the demise that was in the mind of God. I'm here to tell you this. God has a number for America. I don't know what that number is, but I'll tell you this much. This much I know. 
that the reason you sense the hedge lifting is because, is because the number is being whittled as to how many righteous and to how many are in this, how many are serious about this, how many, how many are steadfast in this, how many are covenant keepers and not covenant breakers. I don't know the number for America. But this is why as the church goes, so goes the nation. Because right now, if the hedge is being lifted up over America, a part of the reason is not just sinners are being sinful, it's because those of us who understand the hedge are walking away from our covenant responsibilities. Because God has a number. And that's what we don't realize when it comes to things like Las Vegas. Do you realize that this is, I'm just telling you like I saw it, that there is a video out of a street preacher preaching as people are going into that concert in Las Vegas, preaching to them, telling them, and I mean, he's being straight up, he goes, you know what you're doing. You know you're drinking and you're carousing and your lifestyle and, and you're evil and you're here in the city and, and you're participating in its, in its gross sins and all of that. And people mocked him. Everyone mocked him on the way in. All these good people were mocking God's servant as he's trying to warn them. Can you imagine that picture? Here's a guy standing in front of a concert preaching and everybody's mocking him, not realizing that in just a moment the whole place is going to be sprayed with thousands of bullets. I just wonder if anybody later on thought about that street preacher. Because some of us might even make fun of him. God forbid. But hear me when I say this, that we're hearing everybody. I know, I know that the concert, they sang God bless America. I know our politicians get up and say God bless America and we throw God's name around and splash it on everything. But I'm telling you, God's tired of being splashed around. God's saying it is time to walk in obedience so that hedge may remain. If not, I am not obligated to protect your wild fruit. That's it. That may not encourage you today, but that's a word from the Lord with regards to our nation. Now here's what my exhortation is to you. You need to knit yourself in to the house of the Lord because there's a covering in that. You need to knit yourself in to obedience and a relationship with Jesus Christ. If there was ever an hour to be really fervent in your relationship, this is the hour. Because, and hear me this, you and I are not the problem, you and I are the answer. The world thinks we're the problem. They don't realize if they lose too many more of us, they're slitting their own throats. Because we are the ones that carry that supernatural protection. Because we're walking in the purposes of God. Are you walking in the purposes of God? I trust you are. Don't let this time scare you. God hath not given you a spirit of fear. I'm not fearful at all. This is what I figure. I figure if I'm going to get taken by some crazed madman, just like they took Jesus, there were a bunch of crazed madmen that took Jesus. But his purposes were fulfilled in that sacrifice. And if I somehow am taken away, God's purposes will be fulfilled in that. And you know what? It's not my life anyway, is it? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because all I know is if God deems it the moment to take me out, then all I know is, Lord, whatever purposes that I think are yet fulfilled, somehow or another, you're going to fulfill them in this moment. Because that's what God's doing. And that gives me just a sense of confidence. Almost to walk fearlessly. In Jesus' name. Stand with me, will you please?